0: Hey everybody, my name is Pastor Tony Gilmore. In a world where the word love is thrown around loosely, many people say, I love pizza, I love that movie, I love that car. But very few of us really understand what real love means. In this series, Reckless Love, we will see what love really looks like and how we should respond to the extravagant, unconditional love of the Father. When we talk about this reckless love that God has for us, somebody asked me, um, what what does this mean, reckless love? Because our thought process of reckless is somebody who's doing something stupid and not thinking about it and just launching out into stuff. But when we talk about God's reckless love for us, we're talking about that God, in the world's view, his love is reckless for us. Because he's not taking any thought of the mistakes that you made or the things that you've done or the people that you've hurt or the money that you stole or the lies that you've told or anything that you've done. That God's love is so reckless that he looks past all of your mess, all of your sin, all of your shame and says, I want you just as you are. No, no, I ain't asking you to clean up first. You don't have to get it right. Come to me just the way you are. That's God's reckless love for us. And that's what we're talking about today and for the next week. As we, you know, the the words to that song, there's no shadow you won't light up, mountain you won't climb up, coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down. Coming after me. Man, if you could sometimes just listen to the words of songs and not just blow by them because you like the beat or the melody, this word ministers because it shows you that God won't let anything get in the way of getting to you. Man, my God, thank you for that. Thank you for that. And today we're going to dive into a story. That gives an illustration of how deep God's love is for us. So I want everyone to stand to your feet as it is our custom to honor and read the Word of God. And this story is found in a familiar portion of Scripture, which is in Luke chapter 15. And we'll begin reading at verse 17 through 24. And it reads: But when he came to himself, he, this is the story of the prodigal son. He said, And kissed him. And the son said, father, I have sinned against heaven before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring me the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. The title of this message is, you had it all wrong. Come on, turn to your neighbor and say, you had it all wrong. Now turn to your other neighbor, the one you didn't think of first, and say, hey. No, you got to say it right. Hey. You had it all wrong. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Holy Spirit, that your anointing is in this place. It is upon me. It is upon your word. Let my lips be like the lips of a ready writer, speaking your truth, articulating it in the manner and way that fits right into the pocket of our heart, God. Today, God, we simply come not for anything but to hear from you. I am in the audience as well as on stage and I came to hear a word from you. My expectation, Holy Spirit, is in you right now. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. You know, we hear people talking about revival a lot and There are several ingredients to a revival, but a couple of things that are, I believe, significant for any revival to take place. A revival is simply when the church of God gets on fire for God again. Some people use the word revival and they're talking about the revival out in the streets. No, that's called an awakening. When the world wakes up to who God is. But a revival begins with God's people. When God's people wake up, to who he is. And revivals the, the historical revivals kicked off with a couple of different things. This isn't all inclusive just these two things. A fervent a fervent commitment to prayer. That prayer seeded every revival. And then a revelation of who God is. In all of those you you find those that that fabric in revivals that people prayed And then God gave a revelation of who he was, an understanding of the power of the cross and a depth of his grace for us. You know, I remember years ago, I worked for a company uh, and there was this guy, Jerry, and maybe you've heard me tell the story before, but, you know, Jerry and I didn't get along. And one day we're in the office and, While we're there, you know, we just got mad. And this was probably one of the most unprofessional moments of my entire working life. But we're in the office and and we get mad and we both jump up in the office. He was at the cubicle up there. I was in the cubicle back here. And I'm like, let's go. Come on, Cletus. And literally in that office, we're about to fight. Our manager pulls us off to the side like two school kids. Now, we're in our late 20s at this time. Puts us in a room and says, until you figure this out, you both stay in this room. We stood in that room and not really talking, but knew that we couldn't leave until we figured it out. And so while we're in the room, Jerry just starts talking and then I start talking and we find something out that I didn't like him because of something somebody told me about him. And he didn't like me because of something somebody told him about me. So both of us had wrong information about each other, which caused us not to like each other. It was as if somebody gave him the wrong version of me and gave me the wrong version of him and because of the versions that we were given we didn't like each other see can I tell you right now somebody is giving you the wrong version of God and you think that God is thinking one thing when God is thinking another thing you've been led to believe maybe by good meaning pastors who don't understand the word of God the way that they should that God operates in this way when God actually operates in a different way and maybe you've been running from God all these years because of something somebody told you that wasn't even right. Man, we've all been given wrong versions of stuff, haven't we? We've been given a wrong version of marriage You get married and people are like, oh, it's going to be floating on clouds and going to be beautiful. They don't tell you that it's work, baby. They don't tell you that. Some of us have been given the wrong version of college. We went to college and we thought, oh man, there's gonna be parties and there's gonna be this and this. Oh, they expect me to do homework and go to class on time. We've all been given wrong versions of stuff. And here's the challenge. When you have the wrong version of something, you never get the real benefit of what it is. And when we look at this, we we look at people have told us that, that God, you know what? God is punishing you. God is getting you back for everything you've ever done. That that AIDS or that baby before his time or the fact that you are unemployed, it is God punishing you for all the wrongs that you've done. And when you get your wrongs right, God will stop punishing you. How many of us ever really thought to ask God what he says about himself? I love this portion of scripture. God uses Moses to tell people who he is. Psalms 8 through 13. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion on his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. That's God talking about himself. So then I have a problem with my theology. How can God be punishing me at the same time he loves me? And I get it. I'm going to get there because y'all, my parents in the room are already thinking. But I punish my kids. That's what God does. God punishes us like I punish my kids. Well, I'm going to help you a little bit today. Because the bottom line is when I begin to only think about God's punishment towards me because of the wrong that I've done. It makes me run from him instead of running to him. And listen, 1 John 4, 7 and 8, listen to this. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not know love does not know God because God is love. So God's attribute, love isn't an attribute of God. Love is God. So when we're walking through and thinking about, okay, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to wrap around my mind because they taught me that I was going to hell. And they told me as a kid that if I did this, God was going to punish me and God was going to get me. And so my, my worldview of God, my theology of God is that God is this mean taskmaster that when I blow it and I mess up, he is looking to throw a lightning bolt into my life and destroy me. I don't want a God like that. The bottom line is when I perceive wrong, I receive wrong. Because it's all about perception. When I perceive wrong, I receive wrong. You know, when you're on an airplane, those of you that have flown before, and you get on the airplane and they come around with the peanuts and, and the soda and the coffee, and you're sitting in a seat and everybody's taking the peanuts and the coffee and got person next to you getting a Coke. And you're like, no, that's all right. I don't want any. And I'm like, you sure, ma'am? You're sure, sir? I mean, I want to be able to give you this. It's like, no, no. No, when you're hungry and you're thirsty. But you said, no, no. You know why? You're not saying no because you don't want it. You're saying no because you don't think you can get it. Because you think it costs you for the peanuts and the soda, and you don't understand that that comes with the purchase of the flight. That when they come, when you buy your ticket and they come around with the snacks, That is a part of the package that comes with the flight that you purchase. See, many of us think that when we come to Jesus, that we've got to do all these gymnastics to earn his love and earn his acceptance and earn his favor on our lives. Guess what? When you made the decision to make Jesus Christ Lord of your life, that was in the benefits package. Forgiveness is in the benefits package. Healing is in the benefits package. Strength is in the benefits package. Prosperity is in the benefits package. Package And it's not something that I earn. It's something that I receive because I didn't earn my salvation. I didn't earn what I got from God. God saved me by faith in his grace. So the same grace that saved me is the same grace that will restore me when I mess up. This thing isn't done by words. you you stuck in a a rabbit trail in a cycle. It is by God's grace. And I don't receive the grace by what I do. I receive the grace by what I believe. And because I believe wrong, I'm receiving wrong. So you, God has a job for you and you aren't even asking him because you don't think you qualify to ask him. God has all of this in store for you. You're like, okay, God will give it to me when I get my life together. No. You already got it. It's already yours. Here's the challenge. When you live in sin, you don't have the faith to receive. It's not God holding it back. You don't, See, it takes faith to receive salvation. It takes faith to receive the blessings and benefits of God. So when I'm living in sin, I because faith is a spiritual force, my spirit won't act right when I'm living in sin. So therefore, it's not God holding out on me. It's me not putting myself in position for God to do what he wants to do for me. And people have given us the wrong version of God because they're telling us that if you act right enough and do right enough that God will do for you. No, no, no. When you, listen, I act the way that I do and live the way that I do not to receive it, but I live that way because I've already received it. And this is how people that have received it act when they know they got it. That's right. That's about 80. all. that's cool. There are things God has locked up for me. And the key is faith. And because I think that I gotta get my act together right, I put the pressure on myself to act right, to do right. Can I tell you this? I learned this a long time ago. When I received God's love and received the fact that I'm accepted by Him, something happened in my mindset. When I saw that he already loved me just the way that I was with all my mess, something happened with my mindset. My faith switched to earning to it's already mine. And since it's already mine, all I gotta do is create an atmosphere in my life that brings it in. Sin repels my blessing. And sin keeps me from walking by faith. And I begin to think, oh, God, it's God, won't give it to me. No, 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 no. You don't have the faith to receive because you've been feeding your flesh and not your faith. And the longer you feed your flesh and not your faith, you have more faith in your flesh than you do in the spirit that God has for you. And you can't receive it that way. And I love Jesus. Jesus is cool. Jesus was gangster." Everybody thinks Jesus was just this sweet, lowly, quiet. Jesus was gangster. Jesus walked up in the place and said, "Oh, I heard you. You, you thought this, but I'm telling you that." You, I know you understood this about God But but I came in to break up your little theological party And tell you this is really who it is You, 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 you say, hey, don't commit adultery He says, yeah, that, yeah that's cool But I, I'm going to break this down a little deeper Any man that looks after a woman lustfully Has already committed adultery So while you focus on the outward stuff I'm focused on the inward stuff And while you focus on what it looks like I'm focused on what it is like And he comes into an environment And he says, guess what? You thought God was this way, but I'm going to tell you he's really that way. And he tells these three incredible stories. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. And he talks about how the, the, the shepherd will leave the 99 sheep and run after the one lost. I told you last week, or two weeks ago, <laughs> Jesus is a friend the sinners. He left the saints to go after the one. The lost the the coins are all together, but there's one coin missing, and he he the the, the they leave the coins to go after the coin because. Jesus, when he gets us in, loves us and knows that we're taken care of in the kingdom and he's looking and he's focused on us, but really his attention is on the one that he doesn't have yet. The one that's walked away, the one that quit right in the middle. And he tells this story of this this son. This is what they, they call, I had it right here in my head and it left me, a parable. A parable is a story that gives you a picture of a spiritual or moral lesson. So this isn't an actual story, but Jesus is telling a parable or giving us an illustration of the father and what he's like. And his rambunctious young son walks into his daddy and says, Daddy, I know that custom says my brother's supposed to get his first. I understand that I'm supposed to wait till you're off and gone, but I want my money and I want it now. J.C. Wentworth, I want, I want it and I want it now. And he walks in and says, dad, I want my money now. And the Bible says that he takes his, the money that his father gave him. Notice the father didn't fight him. Okay, because the father knew what the boy was about to get into. See, that's why God is so awesome, because he chases us, yet waits for us all at the same time. And while we think we're out kicking it and doing our thing and, and about to really live this thing and say, I don't want to go to church no more. I want God no more. God's looking back. Oh, Like grandma used to say, oh, just live a little. You'll see how much you need me. I don't have to chase you down like that. I'm not sitting there beating you over your head. I don't need to do any of that. Just Just wait. And so the father stays home. The boy runs off, spends his money. The the story talks about him spending his money on riotous living. Some theologians say with prostitutes. And just as life would have it, he ran out of money. And just as life would have it, a famine hit the land. I, I need to help you. For those of you that think God is punishing you, the boy spent all his money. That's why he's broke. God didn't make him broke. The boy broke himself. So he's suffering brokenness, not because of what God did, but because of choices that he made. get a witness while we're walking around blaming God. God, why didn't you? God, you should have. God's like, listen, I'm letting you do you. You want to do you, do you. And you broke, son, not because I did it, but because of choices that you made. But then a famine breaks out in the land. Because listen, Famines break out in different ways all the time. So here are two natural, one natural occurrence because of the boy's decisions, one natural occurrence because of sin in the world, that famine happens, and now the boy is broke, busted, and disgusted. And he's sitting, and he takes a job with pigs, Now understand culture, in the Jewish culture, swine, pigs are detestable. This shows you the depths of which the boy had gone that he's like, dang, even the pigs' food look good right now. And I I wanna drop this on you that the reason why the boy ended up where he was was because he left the covering of his father. Now, listen, all of y'all that are superstitious, just get over it in the name of Jesus. You good? You okay? We'll have prayer at the end of service. There you go. See, my first point in this story is that love covers. That when you live the way the Father says live, walk the way the father says walk don't try and get out in front of him and do your own thing you live under his covering see it the the covering of an umbrella protects you from the rain that comes naturally in the world so as long as I'm under the covering yeah it's raining but I'm not getting wet so you might be getting wet And your cousin might be getting wet and your coworkers might be getting wet, but because you're under the covering, you may see the rain, but the rain doesn't get to you the same. And when we live the way that God calls us to live, we live under the covering of God's protection, God's provision, God's life. What happened was the famine was going to come, but if the boy had stayed at home where he should have, the, the famine would have been in the land, but his daddy had enough resources to take care of him in the middle of the famine. See, while recession may be looming and all of this other stuff is taking place, the world may have to suffer all of those different things. But because we're under the covering, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Almighty shall rest under the covering of the shadow of his wings. I live under a covering. But when I decide to do my own thing, I leave my covering. I can't blame God or say that God is punishing me when I made the choice to leave the covering. The covering is still in place. I left the covering. And since I left the covering, it was my choice to be uncovered. But love covers and when we walk, I'm reading through the book of Leviticus right now. And i I tell you right now, when I first dove into saying I'm going to finish the Bible this year, I was like, okay, Lord, we're we going to roll through this. When I got to the book of Leviticus, I'm like, oh, my gosh, there's so many laws, so many rules, so many regulations. Oh, can I just hear grace in here somewhere? going to love peace, something. There's just so many rules, rule after rule after rule after rule. And then I got to verse 16, and I was like, oh. Now I get it. Before the law, nobody knew what God asked for. Nobody knew what God required. Nobody knew what it was like to walk in the blessing. So in the book of Leviticus, God's teaching the Israelites, the first group for the first time, hey, don't sleep with your father's daughter. Don't sleep with your mother. And here's the thing, the the, the stuff that's so common to us over the course of time, they had no clue. So God gave the law so that they could know what he expected and what would cause them to live in the blessing. So therefore, when we read the word of God and God says, don't do this, he doesn't need to punish you. Because he's built in his law, he's built in his principles, consequences that come along with you violating those laws and those principles. He don't have. He's not standing up there saying, "Up, you trip!" No. There is a cycle of principles that play out when you violate God's scripture. He doesn't have to do anything. The thing itself does its thing. And so he's telling this through this story of the young man, the famine wasn't punishment. You running out of money wasn't punishment. Can I tell you what you walking through right now that you don't like? It's not a punishment. If you could rewind the tape on how you got here ask yourself what decisions you made that landed you here you would actually find out that it is the grace of God on your life that it's not worse than it already is. That he does not punish you the way that your sins deserve. That he does not he takes our sin as far as the east is from the west. That this thing deserved for you to have this or all these consequences but he by his love even though you stepped out of the covering. Guess what? God's Love is so great that when you step out of the covering, he has a thing called mercy that doesn't give you what you deserve. Even though you deserve every ounce of it, everything that we've done, we deserve the full weight of consequences. But God, even when we stepped out of the covering, had this thing called mercy that says, no, I get they deserve it, but I love them too much. Let them have mercy a season of grace. He says, hey, stop. You keep going. Stop. You keep going. Come on, stop. You keep going. And it is not him that's punishing you. It's you that have led you right to the place of feeling what you feel. And when you, you, you think about this, we understand the second point that, that love disciplines but doesn't destroy. That like a good parent, he disciplines you. You know what God's discipline is? God's discipline for you is he removes some of the mercy and some of the grace not to punish you but to correct you to give you a course correction. Can I tell you, before we get to the place where we talk about the boy's homecoming, you realize he didn't come home because he missed his daddy all that much, right? You realize he didn't come home because he's like, oh, man, you know, I just want to be around my daddy. I just love his presence. I just love, oh, I just love going to church. I just love being with him so much. I miss it. No, no. He went back to his daddy because he was out of money. There was a famine in the land, and he had no other recourse. And guess what? The father was still waiting. (laughs) I'm just going to say this. God almost positions himself to be used just to have you. I know that's deep. I I get it. I get it. But this boy didn't come back for the right reasons. He came back because he had no other choice. And yet God gives this picture of this father who's looking every day. When is he coming home? When is he coming home? And so the boy in the pig pen has this thought, oh, wait a minute. I know my daddy. He won't let me just come back and go back into my regular position. He's a hard person. Okay, this is what I'll do. I'm going to go back. He, you know how we have them conversations with ourselves. I'm going to go back. And I said, Dad, make me a slave. I'm good with being a slave. Because the slaves are eating better than I am right now. So I'm cool. Just let me in the house and live in the slaves' quarters. Because the boy thought he knew why, how his daddy was going to respond. But as he's walking up, still muddy, still dirty, not cleaned up, still got the stench of his mess, still got the stench of the pigs on him, and he's walking up the the, the road, and I imagine him walking like this. And the father from a distance gets a glimpse, and the Bible says that the father runs to the boy. (laughs) the boy thought that his daddy was so mad at him that even when he was in need, he had to make up a concoction to crawl back home just to be in the daddy's house. But see, he didn't know his daddy as well as he thought he knew him. And when he began to to make his way down the road, the dad ran to him Wrapped his arms around him and kissed him. Can you imagine the boy? Is he about to kill me? (laughs) What a gun, what a knife, because I. And then the father makes these three powerful statements. He says, Hey, go get the rope. Because the boy's dirty. He's filthy. See, he didn't say, the boy didn't go home and take a shower and get cleaned up. He came to the daddy just as he was. It was the daddy who started cleaning him up after he came just the way that he was. See, God isn't asking you to come and have it all fixed and have it all together and have it all made up before you come. He says, no, no, you come just as you are. I am the cleaner. I am your 409. I am your Mr. Clean. And when you come to me, I'll do the work of fixing you. So hey, go get the best robe, not that raggedy one in the side that we use for people who aren't worthy of my best. He said, go get the best row. But do you understand? He threw his money away. He lied. He hung out with prostitutes. Dad, how are you just gonna let him come back like this? Go get the best row. The row represents taking off the old garment of sin, putting on the new garment of righteousness, the boy ain't done nothing but turned around and came back home. And the father fully restored him to the place that he was in. And then he, he, he says, okay, now, now go put a ring on him. <laughs> the ring represents full restoration of dignity, wealth, position, and authority. While he was ready to crawl back. The father's like, no. Even when you were wild out, you were still my baby. Even when you were acting a fool, you were still my child. Even when you disobeyed me and disregarded me, I didn't punish you. You had to go through what you went through, but you were still my son. And when you turn back to me, hey, go get the ring. Your dignity will be restored. Your shame will be removed. And I will put you back in the place that you were in as if you never left. Come on, you need to get this. Because, man, if you get this, it changes the game for you, and it changes the game for your kids. That I don't care how bad you messed up. God's love is so reckless, so pervasive, that he can look right in the middle of your sin. And if he sees that your heart is turned back towards him, he's like, I know you've been on drugs for 20 years. But in one moment, I'm wiping away the sting of all of your drug addiction. I know you've been sleeping around for years, but when you turn to me, I wipe away the sin and the shame, and I won't even treat you the same way. Oh, you might have to go through people treating you funny. Well, that's just because they don't know how much I've forgiven them of. They don't recognize what I've done for them. That's okay. Just like the son who was like, hey, you threw him a party, why didn't you throw me one? He said, wait, 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 time out, son. It was all yours. Just come to me. We could have had a party yesterday, the day before. The whole time your brother was gone, we could have been partying. What are you talking about? The father said this son was dead and now he's alive again. We should celebrate what God has done. But then... (laughs) He say, best robe, put the ring on him, but go get him some shoes. See, the shoes represent me not being stuck in the past, but having a new set of shoes that help me walk forward into my future. What does that mean? That means failure wasn't final, that my destiny is still intact, that my purpose is still intact, and all it takes... It's me to understand I was wrong. I saw God wrong. I thought all he wanted to do was punish me. And even when I needed him, I kept running from him. But I learned, like this prodigal son, that actually when I came back, He would restore everything. And I want to read this last scripture to you because this is what spoke to me over 18 years ago when I walked away from God and came back and came crawling back thinking, okay, I just want to be saved. I just want to go to heaven one day. I would have been satisfied with just that. But I found this scripture in Joel chapter 2, 25 through 27. I will restore, replace for you the years that the locusts have eaten, the hopping locusts, the stripping locusts, the crawling locusts, my great army, which I send among you. And then he says, and you shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be put to shame. And you shall know and understand and realize that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord God. There is no one else. My people shall never be put to shame. I don't care how far you've gone. I don't care what you've done. God's love is so strong. That he says, I'll restore all the years that you lost to your sin and your mess. And he says, you don't have to come crawling back to me. Come back to me as a son and a daughter. Repent of your sins. Admit that you were wrong. And then come back with your hand held high, your chest Stuck out, restored to your proper dignity and place, that you are not in church crawling around trying to get the scraps of the people that you think have it all together, that you are officially just like somebody that has never made a mistake, never committed a sin. Why? Because my grace is so big that I can handle your mess. All you got to do is come that's all you blew it you were wrong and you repent you're restored fully hope you enjoyed that message if you live in the St. Louis area or ever plan to visit we'd love for you to join us at one of our services at 4324 Margareta at either our 9am or 11am service be blessed We hope to worship with you soon.